Hi, I'm Sally Lucas. Our staff provide the best value for your holiday experience. Contact us today on 49298600 or visit our website, travelonking.com.au, to create your dream. And we're talking travel for our sponsor, Travel on King. And, well, Sally Lucas, uh, if we've got to go somewhere, and we do, don't we, today? (laughs) Absolutely. Let's go to Thailand. Why not? And I think when we think Thailand, I guess for a lot of people, they think about Bangkok and places further south or occasionally, of course, Chiang Mai to the north. But there's a lot more to Thailand than that. And a lot of people go to Cambodia and Laos because of the ruins. But Thailand has an extended lot of ruins that are quite fantastic and a UNESCO heritage, etc. It's world heritage. So I thought we'd just talk about two of those today and they've both been capitals in Thailand's history at different times. And the first one is Ayutthaya, which is called the Royal City of Three Rivers. And it's only 80 kilometres north of Bangkok. And it was the Thai capital for 417 years. And it was ruled by some 33 kings of different dynasties until it was sacked and destroyed by the Burmese in 1767. So quite an interesting history, as you can imagine, and it was also proclaimed as the Venice of the East by the early European visitors in the 16th and 17th century, of course, long before the name was then transferred to Bangkok. So that's quite close. It's something you can do as a, do as a day trip, and there's actually a lot of ancient temples and artworks there, um, extensive ruins, and you've got historical records that demonstrates that Ayutthaya was one of Southeast Asia's most prosperous cities in its day. Um, you've got old monasteries on the riverbank, you know, museums, as we've mentioned, statues, Buddhas, etc. So it's really interesting. And they've got markets there as well. Um, and there's the equivalent of the Angkor Wat of Thailand, as they call it. So all this is doable. However, it is... Um, I mean, Bangkok's a very busy, bustly city, famous now for its rooftop bars and nightlife and goodness knows what. So you're thinking you're going here and it's going to be obviously quieter than Bangkok, but it's still not quite as quiet if you go further north again. Right, let's do that now. So now that's a different ancient capital, which is called Sukhothai, and the whole province or region is called Sukhothai, which is about 427 kilometres north of Bangkok. Um, So it's a little bit further away, a little bit harder to get to. But when you get there, um, from what I've been able to glean from everything I've read about it, it's so peaceful that if you feel like a peaceful couple of days away somewhere, that this would be a delightful place to go. Now, probably flying there would be the easiest way. And you can fly there from Bangkok or Chiang Mai. um, Or nearby, there's another town, which I'm not sure whether I'm pronouncing it correctly, Pitsanyuluk. Um, and it's only about an hour by bus from there to Sukhothai. Um, you can go by train, but it's it's you wouldn't do that. But I mean, it's a good seven hours and the times of arrival and things like that. And that only goes to Pitsanyuluk and then you still have to get an hour bus. So you would really, you'd fly um, either into Pitsanyuluk or into Sukhothai um, with either Bangkok Airways or I think there's a couple of other Air Asia might be operating into Pitsanyuluk now where you might get a bit of a, a cheaper airfare. But once you go back there, as they say, you're stepping back in time and it really looks quite beautiful and I've looked at the pictures of all the ruins and it's only a, quite a small area though. It's only about 2.7 square kilometres, so it's not large um, and you've got more limited accommodation there but you've got nice little B&B type places who provide you with push bikes so you can get around. Um, And it's sort of, yes, it was there, the seat of the Thai power in the 13th and 14th centuries. And the name means Dawn of Happiness. So just looking at the photos as I've been browsing through and going online, it it really looks 
quite spectacular and there's a historical park there that you can go to as well. And I remember when I did this Isan region, which is to the northeast of Thailand, we went to some incredible national parks where they're still delving and doing archaeological digs and finding incredible ancient ruins, which are quite spectacular. And you don't always think about that with Thailand. That's right. The the waves of different cultures, yes. I suppose, that have yes. come through. And, and they have because, you know, you're bordering on so many other Asian countries in Thailand that it all sort of, if you like, mixes and melds between the countries. So, But you forget that it's it's got as much ancient ruins as, say, you know, Cambodia or, or Laos has. So it's quite an interesting thing to do, I think. It's, as I said, about a 75-minute uh, flight. You can get around on rent a bicycle or you can get private tuk-tuks as well to take you around, which would be quite an interesting thing to do. And the region's chefs in that area promote organic and um, sustainable produce as well, and they uh, apparently encourage eco-friendly agro-tourism. So apparently it's known as, um, there's a project there, just known as The Farm, and it's promoting healthy farming practices and so on. So you're going to go to somewhere that's going to be fairly unique, very special, and you can stay anything from a, um, a backpacker budget to, you know, a, a more market-style resort or even homestay-type situations as well. So, yeah, I think what a lovely thing to do. And they also have a three-day candlelit festival, and all the rivers and waterways of Thailand, they brim with these colourful flower offerings and they put the hundreds of lanterns that, that float. And we were lucky enough when I was um, yeah in this Isan region, as I said, to the north-east, uh, because the Mekong comes into there as well. And so they, they float all these can, you know, lanterns. It's quite Beautiful. spectacular. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so just, I think, an interesting thing, if you want to step back in time, a bit of history, if you're a history buff, of course, but, but quite a peaceful, lovely area to go to. So is it a palace? Is it a temple? It's a bit of both. I mean, looking at what I've looked at, they've got a, an ancient Buddha, like a really tall ancient Buddha framed in a doorway, which looks fantastic. A lot of it is in ruins now. Now, but it's ruins of temples that were there and, as I said, a lot of the statues. So it's a bit of both. It's a bit like Angkor Wat, if I can say that. But, yes, it looks – and they light it at night, but they reckon at sunset it's a photographer's dream. Um, you know, go with all loaded up and be ready to take a lot of photos. And it's apparently it's quite a spectacular sight because it's got water around it as well, like a pond-type situation with, with water lilies and oh, so on. Very pretty. So, yeah, something different. And we're having a bit of a change here now, too, from Thailand. We're moving over to perhaps older, well, equally old ruins. Equally old ruins, exactly. Where are we off to? We're off to Rome, and this is an interesting article written a bit tongue-in-cheek, but I thought by a travel writer, and I just thought I'd uh, mention some of the things he has talked about, about things not eight things not to do in Rome and what to do instead so it, it's it's quite interesting as he say <laughs> to experience the real Roma the one where cappuccinos don't cost eight euros the pasta isn't served with powdered parmesan and awkward costly photos with menacing young men dressed as Roman gladiators can Complete with a wooden sword aren't foisted upon you. <laughs> Sounds <laughs> good. <laughs> so he's talked about going to the important things like the Colosseum, and um, of course, and there's always queues to a lot of these things, as you well know. So he's saying you can avoid the queue in a couple of different ways. Um, the first is to buy a ticket for uh, the Roman Forum Palatine Hill. If you buy a ticket for that, it's valid for two days, and the Forum usually has no queues and the ticket which is valid for two days as I said includes entry to the Colosseum so you could do the forum one day the Palatine Hill and then the next day you could rock up um, to the um, 
Coliseum. Coliseum and use your ticket to, to go in there. Excellent so, idea. And other than that, we, I've just had some clients come back and they were a group. But even you don't have to be a group. But you can also book a special tour where you just get that one-on-one treatment and you can book a private tour as well. So that's another way. And that always includes the Palatine Hill, the Roman Forum and the Coliseum. Um, there are certain tours now in, in the Coliseum, but they're only um, sporadic at the moment, so you need to check where you can go underground, where the gladiators and the animals used to be kept before they were released up upstairs, which apparently is quite fascinating, but it isn't daily, and it's only certain times of the year, so you'd need to check that, whether you're there on the day that that can be included as well. Don't take a photo with the gladiators, like he mentioned, outside the Coliseum, unless you want to pay up to 50 euros for the privilege. So there you go. Instead, as he says, say ciao to your foe fighters and head to Aventine Hill for one of the most wonderful sights in Rome. And there you'll find the doorway to the Priory of the Knights of Malta, a small 18th century church with a skinny um, keyhole shiny from the touch of millions of fingers. You peer through it to see the Priory Garden and right in the centre appears the dome of St Peter's Basilica. St Peter's Basilica at the Vatican in the distance. And if you've got your iPhone handy, you can get a really fantastic little photo through the keyhole. That'd be wonderful. Yeah, fantastic. Don't expect to find the world's greatest pizza in Rome. You'll really need to go to Naples for that, which I think we should know that anyway. Yeah, that's uh, where it comes from, isn't exactly. it? Exactly. And Italy is a nation of regional cuisines, and they all specialise, of course, in their particular cuisine. But that's not what Rome's famous for. Because um, they're in the Lazio region, and what they're famous for is things like stuffed fried zucchini flowers, yum, salted cod, tripe, mightn't suit everyone, cooked in Mm. wine, tomato and garlic, and pasta dishes such as spaghetti carbonara and the bucatini amatriciana. And another one they've talked about is cacio e pepe. And it's a different recipe, which is using a simple, but apparently it looks like it takes great skill, he says. Kosher salt, and you have six ounces of pasta, um, three tablespoons of unsalted butter cubed and divided, freshly cracked pepper, and three quarters of a cup of finely grated grana padano or parmesan, plus a third of a cup of finely grated pecorino. So again, the Italians often do things simply, like even on their pizza toppings, you'll only have two, three max. So this is like just really a, you know, pasta with cheese basically and, and lots of pepper, but it's it's a specialty and one apparently that is supposed to be really yummy. Sounds really good too. Have you had lunch yet? <laughs> no, I'm getting a bit hungry, Jane. Um, and as they say, don't eat at restaurants close to major tourist attractions. They're often overpriced and, and disappointing. Um, you know, like the Piazza Navona, the Trevi Fountain Coliseum, like you'd move away from that. And as he said, you know, head off the main drags, drags to discover Rome's real restaurants um, where you get to places like he says, the charming Campo de Fiori, which isn't far from the Piazza Navona, but not as busy, where you have a daily market and plenty of smaller, well-priced restaurants. So, you know, veer off the main drag, as he says, to get a nice little trattoria or osteria. And he says, don't go looking for a big breakfast in Rome. The locals find the ideas of eggs for breakfast baffling at best and bacon downright disturbing. (laughs) Eat your breakfast the Italian way. The traditional way to start the day in Italy is with a strong espresso or cappuccino and a sweet pastry. And this is usually taken standing up at the bar of a local cafe. I can vouch for that. And on the way home, they do the similar thing. They stop and have their little shot of coffee with a a, a nip of tot or whatever they're having on on their way home. It's really it's a really interesting it's way. It's the evening well started. It, it does. Oh. And as it says, yeah, stroll down the Via del Corso, but certainly don't shop on it, or you know, you'll be paying 
arms and legs for things. Um, he said there are beautiful wares at small boutiques along the Via Urbana and the Via del Boschetto in the Rione Monte district, located not far from the Roman Forum, the Colosseum. Here you'll find artisanal pieces, vintage clothing, small designer ateliers, etc. And also they have a weekend market. So just look up interesting little things there. And he said there's another little uh, city square in Trendy Monte. It's called the Piazza della Madonna dei Monti. And it's got fountains, outdoor cafes and bars, and it's where the locals congregate and socialise. And sometimes the party extends way into the evening in summer. Bring a bottle of wine, sit down and fit right in. Sounds ideal. So get to know the real Get Rome. to know the real Rome. I guess that's the same in any city, isn't it, Jane? I mean, you've got your famous attractions, but it's really much nicer to get off that beaten track and wander down the little back back roads, alleys, lanes, etc. And that's where you do discover the real the real city and the real people. The other dimension. Absolutely. What have you got in the hot deals department today in the current travel marketplace? Bucket loads. <laughs> International Rail have advised that the GAN and Indian Pacific are having some epic savings on their 2018-19 wonderful journeys on the GAN and the Indian Pacific where you can save up to 20% on your gold service fares if you're booking between 1 April to travel rather between 1 April 2018 and 31 March 2019 and just subject to availability so obviously if you want to travel in that time get in early and you could be saving yourself 20% and that's quite a lot because that could be anything up to 500 odd dollars or more mm. um, on that so that's fantastic. Great there's a really great airfare that's come out in conjunction with um, Insight Vacations if you're thinking of going to America. And we discussed how the dollar is still so good at the moment. So with a cheap airfare like this, fly return for nine ninety nine to America with all 2018 USA and Canada trips. So that's a pretty good offer too. That's too good to refuse, I think. It's fantastic. Subject again to availability. Um, and there's also another one which is still to America, still talking America, and that's with Trafalgar Tours. And they've got an airfare of 6 99 So if you can't get one, you might be able to get the other. They're still both good value for money. Um, Asia, there's an early bird sale here with Wendy Wu Tours as well where you can save up to $1,200 per person on her 16-day Wonders of China, 14-day uh, Discover Japan, Vietnam, uh, one to Myanmar, Golden Triangle and highlights of Sri Lanka. So the savings will vary with each particular tour, but certainly up to 1200 saving. Um, Hawaii, there's some great Hawaiian highlight holidays available, so long as you book by 30 November. So that's giving you quite a lot of time to book. Um, this is just accommodation. You buy your cheapest airfare with whomever you wish to travel with. Um, there's usually some good airfares out there anyway. The Honolulu Waikiki Park is from 730 roughly per person, including four nights accommodation. You get return airport transfers and a US $100 hotel credit per room per stay on back of that. So that's not a bad lead in, but there's others going up the scale if you wish. And this is an interesting one, a cruise with a touch of luxury to the Arabian Peninsula. Now, this is on MSC Splendida, and which MSC cruises, and you're going to all around Dubai, Abu Dhabi, and a lovely island called Sir Banias Island, Muscat. Quite an interesting itinerary, isn't it, Jane? Just something really, really different. Eight days, seven nights, and that's from under $700, so less, less than $100 a day for a a seven-night cruise. Um, also, Club Med have got some sales open for 2018, and if you're booking between May and October next year, they've got early bird offers at a whole range of their Club Med properties up to 30% off. 
So we've got so much here today. Uh, Last-minute voyage sale to witness the Northern Lights. If you book by the 30th of August, Hertie Gruton have still got some vacancies for this year's departures on a range of dates where you can save over uh, $1,000 Australian, which is quite a good saving on that. Um, They've got about 44 last-minute departures still with availability. So, yeah, fantastic. So that's that's a great one to go for if you're wanting to do the Northern Lights. Um, Borneo Wildlife Tour, I think that would be fascinating. I haven't been there yet, but to go and see the orangutans and before we deforest the area completely and don't have any orangutans. But anyway, this is a 10-day with Airfare X Australia and it's what we call an independent tour. So everything's pre-booked for you, your accommodation, sightseeing, but it's it's on a daily basis. So it means you can go any time you wish. So you're not fixed, which is great to set departure dates. And that's from under $3,000, including airfares to go to Borneo. And this one I think is great value for money, Jane. Spectacular South Africa, 17 days for around $4,000 ex-Australia, including airfares. That's, that's really good value for money when you're getting 17 days touring and getting into all the places like, you know, your national parks, Kruger, Swaziland, Zululand. Uh, you're doing Port Elizabeth, Oatsorn, Cape Town, uh, Drakensberg, the Eastern Cape Coast, Durban, and 14 breakfasts are included and four dinners as well. So honestly, there's just so much out there at the moment, Jane. There's heaps of good deals available. Fantastic. Thank you, Sally Lucas. Thanks, Jane. And we'll talk travel again next Friday on 2NURFM. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.